to IDGen, a podcast about crypto technology, security, and culture with a healthy balance of enthusiasm and skepticism. We dig into the weekly look at crypto, cutting through the misinformation and hype in search of the signal in the noise. What's happening this week, Zach? How you doing? I'm doing well. How about yourself, Hunt? Doing great. Bogota is treating me wonderful. Uh, it's been a crazy week, lots of uh, great conversations, insightful talks, and uh, as always, you've been holding it down in another amazing week, just nonstop stories coming out, and so I appreciate you holding down the fort while I'm out in the trenches. Yeah, I didn't end up making it down to Bogota, but that kind of worked out all right because there were so many hacks this week, and it's just been absolutely insane. One thing I'm noticing is there are more security talks at DevCon this year than I've seen at almost any other conference and definitely at the other DevCon I've been to. So uh, IDGen is onto something. There is a theme of people talking about similar topics that we are. So Yeah, I'm looking forward to catching up on the live stream. I was hoping to watch a couple of the talks live and I, I didn't get around to it, but I will definitely um, check those out as I saw some pretty good lineups down there. But uh, this week, while uh, uh, all the Ethereans are down doing it up at DevCon in Bogota, the blockchains have been lit up with hacks. We've got just a host of stuff. What are we going to get into this week? Yeah, it's been another crazy week of hacks in crypto land. And uh, depending on how you keep score, it might be the biggest uh, week ever. So I'm glad you're you're down and keeping track for us. We saw multiple chains and bridges gets hacked, price oracle manipulation, wallet exploits, just another wild and crazy week. Yeah. Uh, Let's start it out with our weekly update. We're going to hit some headlines, mostly crypto related, some not privacy, security stuff. And then we're going to deep dive into the Binance, bridge attack, mango markets, Temple Dow. Um, the list keeps going. I can't even remember them all off the top of my head. So we'll start out with the weekly stories here. Bong Bong Marcos in Thailand signs a SIM card registration act. Uh, we've got a, this is a quick update on the Wintermute hack. Cyber Sleuth alleges that the Wintermute hack was an inside job. So that's all speculation, but an interesting, some interesting points are being made on why that, that hack may have been carried out by an insider. These are all going to, all these articles are in our show notes. So we're just going to hit these headlines and then we'll, we'll dig deeper into the other items. All right. Um, if you didn't hear Celsius docked thousands, doxed thousands of users this week, all of its users, in fact, through um, court. And uh, this is an interesting article on from Coindesk about why they did that. The TLDR is pretty simple that the judge required them to and they said hey we don't want to do this and they said do it anyway and they did so following the court rules they released that info and now a lot of uh, or all of the probably a lot of the celsius users are doxxed a uh, quick update the hustler casino live discovered in reviewing the infamous now jack forehand with robbie jade lou and garrett that uh, in reviewing tapes to see if there was cheating, they discovered a Hustler employee stealing Robbie's chips after the Jack 4 hand. 15K in chips this dude swiped off the table when he thought no one was looking, maybe didn't realize the hand was going to blow up and become one of the most infamous, in uh, certainly in recent poker history. So an update there, and that story has continued to evolve, and still no 
set, you know, uh, we don't know if, if there was cheating or not. The internet is about 70, 30 that there was cheating. I'm, I'm probably the opposite 30, 70 that she wasn't. We'll probably never know the truth. I think we're going to figure that. I think, I think someone's going to get to the bottom of this, but we'll, we'll see. Um, they're a nice hacking mini series that Google has put out on a look into their security incident and response team. So if you're into that type of thing, check that out. There's a link for the YouTube six part mini series from Google on their incident response. There's an article from Kaspersky signal is secure as proven by hackers. So 19, uh, I think it was 1900 signal users got hacked. How did that happen? It was this whole thing. Twilio, the SMS provider was actually fished and compromised. So it really wasn't signal, but this article does a really interesting job of looking at why even in the case where this third party was compromised and people were able to load up signal from a couple of key users on their phones, they weren't able to view the the text history. So it held, you know, a lot of security principles and did its job really well, even under these circumstances. If you're a signal user, you might want to read up on that. Sleuth discovers Satoshi's long lost Bitcoin version 0.1 code base. Um, the raw code base contains Bitcoin inventors never seen before personal notations. So who knows with all the textual analysis they do of everything that Satoshi's written anywhere, this might be some new data they can feed in and just kind of an interesting artifact from the history of Bitcoin article on that. And, uh, let's see. State-run live TV in Iran was hacked by protesters. Kind of entertaining. Something straight out of V is for Vendetta. And didn't last long, but it was it was uh, pretty interesting to see. Let's see. I've got a tweet here from Mark Rasanovich. He's now the CTO of Azure, but longtime guy at Windows Sysinternal. Though it doesn't use proof of work anymore, a simple Ethereum transaction executes hundreds of thousands of times, requires tens of megabytes of storage, and consumes on that order in network bandwidth. I don't understand how anyone can claim that's eco-friendly computing. You know, I like to throw in the alternate points of view here on IDGen. Interesting to see this guy getting into the mix with a comment about Ethereum. This this was a... Um, this wasn't in response to anything, so I'm not sure who he's actually saying that uh, you see platforms like Solana and a lot of the other Ethereum competitors talk about how they're eco-friendly prior to Ethereum moving to proof of stake, but I've never seen Ethereum advertise himself as eco-friendly. So I don't know who he's responding to. It's an interesting point and maybe worth digging into. I would love to see those numbers. I would really love to see what um, the Ethereum or the network usage and bandwidth of Ethereum is versus something like Windows updates. Um, having worked extensively with Windows updates in the past and watching an enterprise updated network, it is massive amounts of data every month. So yeah. Yep. When you sent that to me, I dismissed it a little bit, but then you kind of told me a little bit about Mark's background and I was like, oh, damn, he is, uh, he's not just some, you know, keyboard warrior on the internet. He's, he definitely is a educated fellow. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I think we should dig into these things. It's good to know. Um, we made, a, obviously we made huge improvements with proof of stake. And if there's more improvements we can make, we should be looking at that. 
Come on, ID Gen Mark. Yeah, let's do it. Next, copy pasting Solidity code for a front runner bot turns out to be a backdoor. This is no shock to anyone, probably who has a security mindset, but thought this was interesting. And there's some some nice explanations of how this front runner bot code was backdoored. If you hear the hype about all the money you can make front running, don't go out and copy paste code and deploy it. Basically, when you send uh, coins to that contract, they are siphoned off to the attacker who created that backdoor in the first place. Let's see. Um, this is kind of like, this one's kind of like my theme for the week, I feel like. Or not, maybe not even the week, but just the, the show in general. Here we have a quote from Hayden Adams, um, founder of Uniswap. Founder of Uniswap. Yeah. Probably better if we don't treat random Anon tweets like they're reported facts. And constant theme here on IDGen is thinking about your narrative where you get information, specifically being critical of Twitter and keeping in mind that just because something has likes, it doesn't mean that it's true. I think this was related to the sushi swap drama this week. I'm not even going to get into that. I feel like of all the other in like really interesting stuff that happened, this is just that stuff was was kind of a non point and that's i think what he's saying here so but uh, in general just something really great to keep in mind i think it sounds like hunt maybe we even had uh, a case of this at discon this or uh devcon this week but we'll get into that yeah we'll definitely have to and your uh critical thinking has rubbed off on me because you know my gut is to start talking about it now but i'm like i want to get to the bottom of this and not just kind of trust all these tweets that i'm reading online but we'll definitely probably dive into that drama next week yeah i feel like we should maybe even do a show on the on the mob and mm -hmm. information and how it you know dissipates and, and things so <clears throat> yeah we'll keep moving update from the crypto.com Accidentally sending the woman $10.47 million instead of 100 She's out on bail. This whole story is wild. They spent the money on cars and houses, and then she's, now she's in jail and uh, awaiting trial. Really, um, yeah. Anyways, she's out on bail. Quick update there. There was a cyber attack on DIA and a number of other airports this week didn't impact flights or anything. As I understand it, it was a um, denial of service of some type against some, some websites and we're not sure who was behind it. Tether freezes an address with 3.4 million in USDT. This brings the total frozen number of addresses on Tether up to 215. So credit to um, Whale Watch on Twitter. They keep an eye on those, that uh, specific on Tether and when you see the freeze executed on the contract. So that's a pretty large one. I looked at that address and it's interesting because it was funded initially from Coinbase, a lot of interactions with Binance and now it's being frozen. So I kind of feel like these are the, the you know, these are the like artifacts of information that are probably going to be part of stories down the road. Like who is this, this person and why do they have, they have their money frozen? What, you know, what, um, criminal ring are they a part of like if USDT is freezing your account, I hate to say it, but I feel like you probably, I don't want to get too judgmental, but you probably screwed something up pretty badly. 
Oh, yeah, definitely. Remembering that uh, they said they wouldn't comply with the sanctions on Tornado Cash as far as blocking, you know, USDT from going in and out of that contract. Anyways, speaking of Tornado Cash, what's up with uh, our boy David Hoffman from Bankless? Yeah, yeah. So David Hoffman, Coin Center, and a couple others are suing the U.S. Treasury Department over the Tornado Cash sanctions. Uh, David's tweet this week, I'm suing the Department of Treasury. I got dusted from Tornado Cash, and now every year of my life, I'm forced to file a report reaffirming that I'm not a criminal. I don't intend to waste my time like that. David Hoffman versus Janet Yellen. Let's dance. Wow. Guilty until proven innocent. He's got to prove to them that he's not a criminal. Doesn't sound right. I don't know. I'm genuinely curious to see what this report is that he's talking about. And low-key a little worried that, you know, uh, I, I don't know. I don't understand. I've heard nothing about that before. We'll have to dig into that more and, and see. I asked around a little and I wasn't able to find any info. We've got. We'll definitely be continue to talk about that one for sure. Mm-hmm. Yep. We'll keep eyes on that one. Sure. It'll be big in, in the crypto Twitter news sphere. All right. Up next, New York changes their gun buyback plan after a seller gets $21,000 for 3D printed gun parts. Scammers everywhere, but that one's kind of clever. You got to admit. For sure. A quarter of the SEC employees stock invested in firms lobbying the SEC. This is a whole long detailed report. There's all kinds of different information in here. That was just one of the more sensational headlines that that seems to hit and is relevant to crypto. A quarter of the SEC employees stock invested in firms lobbying the SEC. Well, you know, we uh, it explains a lot. Yeah, that I, I'm exhausted after listening to your you know news points and like we said again, check out the show notes if you want to dive into any more of them. Zach does great work; they're really detailed. But I think that's the most bullet points we've had, and I really feel like I could do the deep dive on eighty percent of those and like want to discuss all of them with you. But you know, our, our next story is probably one of the the craziest of ID Gen's career. So like we have to talk about that, but man, what a crazy week. Yeah. So we'll jump right into the deep dives on in the hacks this week. And I was thinking about doing these in order and didn't have time to kind of perfectly arrange them. So we'll just start largest first in no particular order. The Binance Smart Chain Token Hub hack. Uh, this was October 6th, 2022. Binance Smart Chain Token Hub, which is the BNB bridge between the old Binance Beacon Chain and the Binance Smart Chain, was exploited into minting two lots of 1 million BNB directly to the hacker's address. So in summary, there was a bug in the way that the Binance bridge verified proofs, which could have allowed attacks to forge arbitrary messages. Fortunately, the attacker here only forged two messages, but the damage could have been far worse. So, okay, so there's the basis of kind of what happened. And then the, a lot of the discussion around this was what happened as, you know, after the attack itself. So when the B 
Airbnb team 90 minutes after the attack halted the chain. Uh, this cut off access to roughly $430 million of stolen funds that were still on the Binance Smart Chain address. So the attacker had over $500 million with the initial hack, and they sounds like were probably keen to the idea that Binance was going to pause the chain and they were quickly, as quickly as they could, moving funds off of the chain to places where they could not be frozen. And so $430 million was sitting there. 90 minutes it took uh, to, to get that, to execute that chain. And so the questions really, the criticism emerged, which anyone who had really you know, paid attention to what was going on with Binance Smart Chain already knew that you know, there were a, a smallish number of nodes operating that chain and that that's how they were able to achieve that. Um, I believe it's pr proof of authority. Correct. Yep. And uh, yeah, so they, you know, just. Have you seen that meme with uh, it's uh, the Binance Smart Chain and it's branching off into all the little nodes, but every node has CZ's picture on it, yeah. just kind of alluding to the fact that CZ is pretty much in control of that whole chain and there's there's not much decentralization. Yeah, I, I mean, I saw some interesting arguments on this one that, you know, like, this is a good thing that they could stop it and save all this money. And, you know, I'm not a fan of decentralization for the sake of decentralization. Like, I don't, you, there needs to be a solid reason. And I, to me, at the, the foundational layer of your chain you know, um, we you you want to have you need things to be able to freely operate. So, for example, what if someone were to kidnap CZ and tell him to, you know, we look, we know you can talk to your node operators and make them do stuff. Go make them do X, Y, and Z. You know, I, I realize yeah. that's like an edge case. You know, but there's but it, it could come up in a court case too, where that you know. Ethereum and Vitalik can say, I have no control over what this chain does. It's decentralized. Well, like the court can go back and say, well, you halted the chain here. If they see something that they don't like that happens, they're going to say, well, halt it again here because we don't like that. And you've obviously demonstrated that you have the power and the authority to do so. Exactly. I wouldn't want that responsibility, but wow, that's, uh, that's a lot of money. And they acted pretty quickly. So... It's going to be interesting to see how that one plays out, like so many of these these hacks that we talk about. And I did get to spend a little time digging into the mechanics of the hack, and uh, I I love Merkle trees. It's just a fascinating and cool structure and um, or algorithm. And so the it turns out the root of the exploit is actually nestled in the way that the hub um, verified proofs on a Merkle tree and pretty, you know, pr pretty clever. Um, it was, you know, basically they were able to submit a fraudulent proof because it wasn't properly checking. Um, there's these different sides of the tree, a left and a right side of the tree, and apparently it didn't validate if you didn't specify that your proof came from the left or the right 
node on the tree, if you just left that blank, then it, it was able to bypass the uh, the checks. So that's the 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 way that I understood the mechanics of it at the at the very bottom. There's still a lot of questions about why. You know, someone said, "Well, why didn't they just take everything?" You know, they could have taken a lot more. And there were 15 or so attempts that failed, and then a couple hit. So, to me, that paints the picture of like hey, I think we might have an exploit that's going to work. And they're just testing it out and then nothing, nothing, nothing. And then bam, one of them hits and they just, you know, so that would uh, be that to me is we've talked about this before with different attacks, trying to understand the behavior of the attacker. And to me, it feels a little bit like maybe they moved in haste, but, you know, so maybe they're moving quickly. I don't know, but um, Could, could be an inside job. What do you think? Uh, I don't think there's any evidence for an inside job. You know, I think based on the idea, the idea that they could have taken a lot more and that, you know, they, they got, uh, what, just under a quarter of all the funds off chain. It seems to me like they were just moving quickly. Like if they, if it was planned and premeditated, they knew they had a solid exploit. It was going to work. Um, you know, and some people said, well, maybe they just weren't that skilled. And I feel like it's probably somebody who was moving in haste. And of course it makes you wonder and think about what type of monitoring solutions we have out there. Could we, could someone have spotted these 15 transactions? And, oh, actually I did. I I remember reading this as well, that, um, I think some of those, those other transactions got front run. So there's, there's this whole element, this new element of, of hacking to even consider on chain. Now, if your exploit, you know, imagine if your exploit makes it into the mempool and someone's looking and spots it. So, and is it someone or could somebody build a bot that is just watching for, you know, different types of activity that would be an exploit and, you know, the bot can maybe act quicker on it than the hacker. Yeah, exactly. And I think that, um, it, it would be a bot, but yeah, it would be someone who programmed the bot, right? And yep. I think that Peck Shield is developing or has developed a tool that attempts to look for exploits in the mempool, look for, um, you know, okay, maybe not exploits specifically, but look for suspicious activity in the mempool. And so the question would be, could you front run it and block it? Could you front run it and white hat steal it? Could you... I mean, okay, let's say you had that capability. Maybe you just want to act on that information. I'm not saying that, you know, from a legal perspective, that's a wise maneuver. But if you noticed, oh, wow, look what's about to happen. This is, you know, I don't know exactly what they're doing, but it's, you know, mango markets. This is some some strange transactions in the works on their way in. And if you notice that, could you quickly open a position to capitalize on it? And if you can, then people are probably doing that. And so I was thinking of doing some research into or around some, some of these different attacks to see if there's any transactions before, shortly before, during, in the same block that actually, you know, take advantage. It'd be difficult, I think, to know because, you know, with a high degree of certainty, but um, certainly, uh, the potential is there. 
that's wild. You'll definitely have to keep me posted if you d- dive deeper into seeing, you know, who's front running. That's a pretty interesting topic. Yeah. So if you count the 500 or you know, 430 million that they didn't successfully make away with, then, you know, this is up there, I think with the Ronin attack is one of the largest. I didn't actually check direct leaderboard. I think that this one came in as number three because they, I think they count that, but, um, you know, if you don't count it, we're only, we're just over a hundred million. So, you know, not nearly as, as large compared to some of these other big ones. Okay. So, um, before the Binance bridge was hacked, we had another one. And I think these guys are kind of lucky. This was October 4th, the sovereign hack. And these guys, right. It's one of those things where they could have been more, there could have been more news and interest in them, but, uh, they were quickly overshadowed by some of these other ones. So we're jumping back now to the fourth and of October, the sovereign hack 1.1 million was stolen from sovereign, a DeFi protocol on the Bitcoin smart contract network, RSK. An attacker exploited the legacy lend and borrow protocol to inappropriately withdraw funds. I spent a, a good bit of time looking into this one. The, the wrecked write-up was interesting because it, there was, it read to me like there was a very a bit of a, I don't want to, maybe I don't want to say bias, but there's like a, I think that these folks at Sovereign really have pressed hard on how secure they are and how serious they took security and, you know, how this is kind of like real DeFi on Bitcoin and things. And so there's definitely some animosity and seeing them get owned, I think uh, some folks were quick to point fingers. I don't think that that's, you know, uh, that's neither here nor there, but uh, the exploit itself, it manipulated the iToken price through a clever flash swap loan and liquidity uh, LP combination. So yeah, this is one of those kind of like what I would call a game theoretical attack because you've got the different buttons and levers. The attacker manipulated the IRBTC price so that they could take out a much more RBTC than they initially deposited. Um, the attack was detected by sovereign devs and the system was placed into maintenance mode, which was also part of the criticism is, you know, how if you're a Bitcoin maximalist and a DeFi or a decentralization purist, you know, how are you just dropping, dropping into uh, maintenance mode? I don't blame them. I mean, I, I don't know. These are, these are slippery slopes and these are difficult questions. And if you had a DeFi protocol with a lot of funds at stake, you know, I think it's, I think it's great that these guys were monitoring and they noticed that this was happening and were able to, you know, to make that move and to put it in the maintenance mode, whether it should have a maintenance mode or not is a different discussion. I think. Um, Slippery slope is right with a lot of these. They're just, uh, they're setting precedent here that they could uh, do these type of things again. And it's uh, dangerous in my opinion. So one of the, 
uh, conversations I had on the side this week with a friend around the Binance hack, and the same thing would apply here, is that you know I think the no-coiner criticism of something like this is if you can just pause or freeze you know, your, your decentralized application, what is the point? Why even have it? Why go to all the steps of putting it on a blockchain when you could just run your DeFi app as a standard web two app? And, you know, I think there's some validity to that criticism. I don't, you know, the interoperability with all these other systems, you would have to establish how all that worked with a basic web two system. But a lot of those systems do exist. I mean, you know, there's protocols that people could just use, right? So imagine if you just built DeFi as, you know, on web two. And um, because, you know, if you, if you have all these pause and stop buttons, then who controls the switches? And mark my words, it's only a matter of time before one of these switches gets pulled in a questionable way. I mean, I guess we could go all the way back to the DAO and, you know, that's probably the ultimate um, original question about, um, you know, immutability of the chain. But sooner or later, one of these, one of these apps is someone's going to pause something and it's going to be used in a malicious way. I mean, it's, it's, that's a great point. It's bound to happen, you know? Um, yep. So sovereign patting themselves on the back quite a bit with this one. The tweets are almost congratulatory as, as Rekt liked to point out due to the multi-layered security approach taken, devs were able to identify and recover funds as the attacker was attempting to withdraw them. And so, <laughs> I mean, it's a little odd to pat yourself on the back in a situation like this, but Hey, definitely. I mean, yeah. That's weird. I don't know. Get in, you know, um, sovereign spokesperson, uh, Edgin Yao Yago said this is the first successful exploit against the protocol after two years of operation. He maintained that Sovereign is quote one of the most heavily audited DeFi systems with valuable and active bug bounties. I wanted to include that and throw that in because it's important. It, it does make a difference if you're looking at someone that got exploited that never got audited, doesn't have bug bounties available, doesn't have open source code. Um, you know, it's important to take the steps that are available and known at the very least. Right. And so they, they did take security seriously, but, uh, you know, this type of attack is really hard to audit for. I think, I think we're going to see more of it though. I think we're going to see more of, you know, as these attacks continue, security researchers and white hats are going to figure out how to test for these types of game theoretical attacks. And um, I don't know, as we'll see here in just a bit, not everyone listens. So moving on to our third hack of the week. This is actually a quick update. I probably could have done this in the news update earlier, but October 3rd transit swap update, transit swap hack update. So we talked about this one last week briefly. The hacker returned 70% or 18.9 million that they stole from the cross-chain decks after reports that security firms had doxed the hacker's IP. And uh, later in the week, Transit began allowing users to claim those stolen funds. So more on that if you want. I'm not going to dig too much in. I just wanted to do an, a quick update because it's always 
fun to talk about the hacks when they first occur, but I think it's important to also keep updated on the development and how these are handled and how, you know, different teams handle them. And, uh, the process looks a little painful. There's lists going up and spreadsheets and with, with, uh, addresses and who can claim when as they allocate the money back from the hacker. But, um, I will say my first concern was like, oh man, I hope they properly secured their, their claims process, you know, rushing to pay everyone back. It would be really easy to, um, to introduce a, you know, an, another exploit into that claiming process. Got to be careful with those Merkle trees as we know. Definitely. Um, okay. Up next, this is, this one's wild. 2200 hours UTC October 11th Mango Markets gets owned Solana's flagship margin trading protocol lost nine figures to a well-funded market manipulator. The attacker managed to spike the price of Mango Markets native token MNGO and drain their lending pools leaving the protocols with 115 million of bad debt. That was from rect.news. Yeah, so unfortunately, as the covers get pulled off here in these when these things happen, it looks like the team was warned about the potential for this attack in March of 2022, more than six months ago on Discord, screenshots of them, the actual conversation. And it's kind of when when you read that the the conversation on Discord from uh I can't remember if it was March. Um, earlier in the year, yeah, March, March, 2022. Um, it's like a perfect map for executing this exploit. Like it, I mean, the, the guy just says like, Hey, I noticed something da, 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 da. if you do this, this, and this. And, um, I mean, it's, it's really close to the point where you'd kind of go, you know, that dude, you, you'd probably be a little suspect of that person. However, um, this isn't the first time that something like this has happened, which has been pointed out other there's similar exploits against other DeFi protocols. So it's, um, you know, for what, for what that's worth, uh, looks like, um, this story is evolving, uh, into literally, you know, uh, 11 hours ago, but let's follow it through throughout the week. So the attacker created a proposal to solve the problem that they created and uh, using their newly acquired big stack of mango tokens. They created a proposal and uh, wanted to award themselves a $70 million white hat bug bounty. The proposal did not reach quorum and it is colorful. It is, uh, if you know, if you like hacking drama, this is a good one to read. Track that one down, dow.mango.markets, and check out the hacker's proposal. There's some death threats, and it's kind of an interesting look at human psychology, I think, because you have the folks coming in and saying, hey, this had all my money. I needed this money to feed my kids, and you know, please give it back, and then you get the, um, like, literally, like, someone describing how they were going to torture him like down to a like very descriptive and uh Yuck. yeah yeah pretty pretty grim so 
as of, I think it was, what is we, 12 hours ago, a new proposal has been submitted to repay the bad debt number two. This one actually passed. And um, so they've worked something out. The immediate response is uh, Mango Team is effing brain dead and should be criminally investigated. They left this exploit open and are now paying out 40 to $50 million bounty to a doxed exploiter. Worst negotiation I have seen. Depositors to me be made whole immediately. Everything else comes after. So comments continue. I didn't get a full uh, chance to fully digest what the the result is here. And um, but based on that first comment, it sounds like they are going to be paying out a pretty fat bounty in exchange for getting a bunch of the tokens back. I don't know all the details there, but uh actively evolving and um in case you're curious that was the patriarch glossy manohauer you are being liquidated um, that's the mango markets account name for the attacker and you can look at i'll throw some screenshots in the show notes or you can go look it's it's still live on mango markets i don't i mean maybe it'll change after they sort this out, but you can see the $115 million in debt. And uh, yeah, so that, um, that was a pretty large hack. I Hunt, you had asked me about what impact that had on Solana and the TVL and things. I didn't get a chance to dig into it, but as I understand it, this was one of the largest uh, markets on Solana. And this is probably not a... <clears throat> not a um just a drop uh, you know in the bucket for them no they seem like they must be used to all this drama by now because there just seems to be a lot going on in that ecosystem with the chain going down and and so forth but you know we've seen a lot of these hacks on eth and uh yeah this that's a pretty big impact if it was a decent percentage of the tvl on solana yeah yeah um oh man i I thought I had a much deeper dive into how the attack worked and looking at the show notes here, I don't see it and I'm not going to try and freestyle it. Um, sure. It's pretty difficult oh. to um, keep up with these hacks each week and try to, you know, um, in the beginning I was really digging to each transaction and trying to, to be able to articulate, you know, every single part of it. And uh, well, you know, a week like this, there's only so, so much you can do. Only so many hours in the day. Yeah. Um, next one. Rabby wallet swap exploit. Just one month after launch, this Rabby wallet. I know they were, I had just started testing these guys out, their wallet out. I had heard some, some really great things. And yeah, I uh, this is unfortunate. Here's the tweet from Rabbi Wallet. There's an exploit on the Rabbi Swap smart contract. If you have used it, please revoke all existing approvals on all chains for Rabbi Swap. For those who haven't used Swap, your wallet is safe and unaffected. We're actively working to solve it, and we will keep you updated. That was from October 11th, so still pretty fresh on that one. I didn't get a chance to check this morning and see if there were any updates but as of yesterday i think this was the um still the latest from them so 
we're seeing a lot of the these issues with approvals. There are some different sites you can go to and you can type your wallet address in and they will show you every contract that has approved that you've given approvals to. And um, it's a good kind of like security blockchain hygiene thing to do to go and check and see. So like, for example, you know, if you go to like one inch and you go and exchange tokens there, they will request approval to spend your tokens earlier, a few years ago, you know, it was just kind of like a, they would just ask for infinite approval pretty commonly. And, you know, people would just approve it. And so now that contract is approved to spend your funds. Well, if anywhere down the road, there's some type of issue with the contract in this case, it sounds like there was. So anyone who had approved the Rabi wallet contract to spend their funds, the attacker probably found some way to um, take advantage of that. So never a bad idea. Uh, I could drop in the show notes a link to a couple of those sites that'll show you your approvals. I can't remember off the top of my head um, what they are. But yeah, if you happen to have used the Rabi wallet and you didn't already, you should uh, revoke that approval. Moving along. Temple Dow yield farming decentralized finance protocol loses over 2.34 million or 1830 ETH to a hack on October 11th. So we'll just start right out. This is a tweet from OX Fubar. This temple hack has to be the sorriest one I've seen yet. 2 million gone was available on chain for months. They put no access control modifiers on a migrate withdraw function that lets you specify an arbitrary address. So uh, Hunt, you used to like to ask frequently after these attacks, like how would you rate this attack? Yeah, this is this is coming in as like, this is pretty easy. Like, um, yeah, it's like somebody leaving their wallet full of money out on their porch for you know two months and then being like, "How? Oh my god, somebody stole my wallet! What the hell?" It's like, yeah, you you left this out for the taking. Yep. Yeah, and of course, you know the questions that gets raised here is how many how how much amounts of funds are sitting out there right now just wide open for the taking like this you know i mean 2.34 million dollars and it was this was not a complicated it it's you really i don't even think you can you don't call this an exploit right because there it wasn't i i don't know maybe it's a fine line there or semantics but but this is just a very basic programming, you know, kind of thing. Like you, you gotta, you know, access controls or <laughs> if you let anybody call a function like this and uh, yeah. So I feel like, and I've been thinking it's felt this way for a while that we're in this sort of phase with DeFi security where the awareness is rapidly is increased that all these you know, these funds are at risk and at stake out there, but how long is it going to take for a lot of this low hanging fruit to get taken out? Like it, it, I don't know, in my head it would have happened already. Like 
you just think there's more black hats out there going after these things, but I don't know. Yeah. You would think there's more black hats by the day going after these things when they see these headlines about just kind of all this easy money, like you said, low hanging fruit. Um, so it's uh, definitely attracting some eyeballs on the space of the good and bad variety. Yeah, totally. Okay. Moving along. I try to steer clear of drama in general. This is a very kind of bit of drama related, but I did see on some lists this week, they were getting lots of likes that this incident was called out and I wanted to um, dig in and look what was going on. So Paraswap, um, we've got this Twitter based security firm. I found a lot of these this week. There's a lot of different groups that are offering audits and security. And so what they're trying to do, they want attention. They want, um, for their business, right? They, they want to, you know, followers and these things. So there's sort of like this race to, um, solve an attack, right? Sam CZ son is out there, you know, um, doing his postmortems on attacks. Everyone's watching these things. So if you can get a, you know, if you can find these things on the front side, I think the idea is, is that you can get attention for your business. So Twitter based security firm tells, reaches out to Paraswap and it says, Hey, your Paraswap, your uh, deployer address was generated by profanity. If you remember, I think it was two weeks ago, we talked about the profanity vulnerability. This was a, an address generation tool that allowed you to generate custom addresses, Ethereum addresses. So like OX bad, OX cool, OX ID gen, whatever you want to do. Um, and uh, unfortunately they didn't use enough entropy in generating those addresses. And so given a enough hardware, turns out you're actually able to recreate those addresses and the private keys to them. And so, um, this has been, uh, this issues all over the place. It keeps popping up. And, uh, so Paraswap says, no, this, they deny it. Well, then the block sec team, uh, another Twitter, uh, security firm or, or oh, okay, security firm on Twitter, um, proceeds to generate a transaction from the account as a proof that the private key has been compromised. They've got a nice little message in the data section saying, Hey, contact the block sec team. So who knows? Um, you know, uh, either way, the deployer address has no power on the contract. So that's, that's where that's the one of the important elements of this particular conversation, the Paraswap one, is if you deploy a contract. So when, like, for example, when we deployed, uh, when Kevin and I deployed the the GTC contracts and things, we made sure that that address didn't have the ability to do anything else on those contracts. It was a one and done thing. You, you deploy the contracts, admin credentials are then allocated to a multi-sig wallet. So you, you, with a little bit of forethought, you can avoid, you know, something like this. However, in, in the, so in, in this case, yeah, they it couldn't, you couldn't do anything with that address anyway. So they're kind of saying, so I don't know if, if Paraswap didn't use profanity is it, this is a semantic thing. Turns out as we're going to talk about it here in a minute, we've got another, uh, another issue with these vanity addresses being insecure from profanity but there was another open source fork of that tool that people were using. So same root problem, but, um, either way, 
uh, Curve gets in the mix because they were actually accused of the same thing, saying their deployer address was vulnerable. And they say, when will some auditors stop reporting non-issues for hyping themselves? And that is kind of why I wanted to bring this all up is, and, and just talk about it a little is because I think that that's important when we talk about our, our ongoing theme for IDGen of like understanding your narrative and really having a, the ability to, to see this information and digest it, to respond not react and to understand it, you know, Curve is saying here that we've, you've got these auditors reporting non-issues, trying to hype themselves, and we're only going to see more of that. Whether or that, whether or not that is the case here, I don't really know, but we're going to see more of it. That's um, what I, my main point is be on the lookout for these new emerging security firms, a little bit suspect there's a high need for them. And uh, I have a feeling they all have a long wait list to audit your contracts. And so you might see some less than reputable ones getting some chances to audit some pretty big contracts. And uh, I hope it turns out okay. Yeah, I mean, you don't, you got to be very careful who you hire for something like that. <clears throat> um, okay, so let's see. We're trying to to get through all these. We're going to keep going here. This one's kind of still new and unfolding. The Zen token. The first reports that I saw surfacing were that this, this new token, Zen, which was using all the gas on Ethereum, a lot of gas, one of the top um, gas users this week, someone had figured out how to abuse FTX's withdrawal fee subsidy to mint $70,000 worth of this Zen token. And um, then... As I'm digging into that, what I see is other reports. The newly launched Zen crypto is down 39% in the last 24 hours after a user found a way to mint over 100 million tokens without paying gas fees. Sorry, that was the same one. Um, the next one, the project is also experiencing a Sybil attack with 80% of participating addresses being Sybil addresses. So we may have to get more into this one at another time. You know, this is kind of um, Sybil attacks are near and dear to my heart. That's, uh, you know, Hunt, I don't know if you recall, but when you originally connected me with Kevin, that was, uh, you know, you said, hey, check out this tweet. You should go uh, talk to him about Sybil attacks. And yeah. uh, I spent a lot of time thinking about those and, uh, at Gitcoin and looking at the grant system. And this is near and dear to me. And I've never seen a token at scale like this being Sybil attacked. So, um, you know, they, they look like reputable reports. Again, it's, it's getting tricky because these security firms are emerging so quickly. Knowing who to trust and who to vet um, is, is becoming more difficult. But uh, I'm keeping an eye on them. And hopefully, um, hopefully, you know, this is a legitimate report. It looks, it looks pretty sound. I read through it. Everything makes sense. And um, so the what I did know about the Zen token was that I read that it was like a proof of participation, I think was what they called it. And um, maybe I'm getting that wrong. Um, but they, yeah, some novel mechanism for participating in the token. And it uh, seems to be backfiring. Yeah, crypto slate's picking up this story too. So I, I think that um, I think that the Sybil attack is going on. And uh, interesting to note 
that this is one of the big gas burners on Ethereum this week. And, you know, uh, probably won't last for long, kicks those fees up a bit, and then also uh, helps push the um, supply down, as I, as I understand yeah. the way these mechanics work now. It burns more. So, yeah, it helps make ETH deflationary. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to keep going here, trying to keep it within an hour for you guys. Number nine on our deep dive for the week. This is far more than we've ever attempted uh, to get into. Um, on the 11th of October, I spotted this one at the very end yesterday when I was getting all these show notes, finalizing them. Uh, the so-called quantum resistant QAN, Q, QAN? Q, QAN platform suffered a severe blow when QANX bridge deployer wallet was compromised. And I just, I'm not, I don't want to um, kick anyone when they're down, but if your claim to fame is being quantum resistant and then your wallet gets compromised because you used an open source vanity address generator. So it turns out this is also linked to the profanity issue. It was created using an open source vanity address calculation algorithm called vanity ETH GPU, which is a derivative of a compromised upstream project called profanity. Although I wouldn't say compromised is the right word. Anyways, that's, that's from the um, QAN platform. That was a quote from them. Uh, it wasn't compromised. It was just um, incorrectly created, I think, unless someone did that on purpose, which I don't think we have evidence of, but um, that would be clever. So these attacks continue. There's going to be more, mark my words, in coming weeks. So digging into this, okay, what's the big deal? Frequently asked questions. This is on their post. The vanity-related vulnerability was recognized in the profanity tool in September. Why did the team not fix it in time? So that was my first question, and they had this right on their fact of the the post mortem, which is which is great. I mean, you know, it's it's good to see um, this type of communication, uh, you know, after an attack. Uh, as soon as vulnerability was disclosed, the team went through all in-house wallet addresses to check if there are any vanity addresses used internally, and there were none. The next one, the bridge deployer contract was specially crafted that the first contract it deploys would get a vanity address, not the wallet itself. The tool used back then to create this wallet was not profanity, but another one, which unfortunately was also based on profanity, as it turns out. Uh, yeah, same thing here. Uh, one more point. The bridge deployer wallet described above did not have direct access to the funds. It could only sign transactions to be executed based on the signature. However, that doesn't make sense because if they knew that, then they're, they're contradicting their one of their earlier statements of saying that they didn't think it was used. So they didn't realize <laughs> this until after, but that's all right. It, it would seem anyways, I understand it. So it was only used for executing based on a signature. And for the above reason, it was concluded that it would not affect us in any way. Sadly, this was not the case as the attacker went one step further and figured out how to misuse the forged signature of the broken wallet. So yeah, their token's not doing well. Token's collapsing after the hack and, and things. So yeah, um, profanity it's, is, it's the gift that keeps giving here. It seems like a lot of these, you know, 
hindsight, it's really easy to look back and say, you know, somebody told you about these hacks, but it seems like a lot of these could have been prevented with just more focus on security and taking, you know, people's um, claims, what, how exploits could happen seriously. So it's, uh, it's, it's hard to watch all these, you know, it's, it's hard, you know, after a week like this, with just so many stories going on, it just gives me a little bit of anxiety. Just, just, I feel like these hacks are just kind of snowballing and getting bigger and bigger and ramping up. And I'm, kind of scared to see the climax of all of this. And uh, I hope, you know, people just take their security a lot more seriously. And I, I would be excited to see a week come by where IDGen didn't have, you know, 26 hacks and stories to talk about. Yeah, I'm a little worried that it's it's never gonna subside and it's just going to continue to uh, to grow. I saw a, a great tweet this week where someone said, like, I think it was like serious question, like, how do DeFi developers sleep at night? And I get it. Yeah, I, I heard that on a panel, and uh, they all these you know security professionals and auditors were saying that they don't. You know, they all lose sleep on code that they've deployed or code that they're auditing, just knowing that they can do their absolute best and they can be the the biggest expert in their field, and it's still a chance that they get exploited. You know, there's still so much on the line there and uh, you almost have to separate yourself from it as one of these professionals to sleep at night because if you really think about it, you will just never go to sleep and drive yourself crazy because there's so much on the line. Yeah, we when we released the GTC token, it was sort of a last minute decision. We were actually going to keep that airdrop live for a year and then mm. almost last minute it was changed and they're like, nah, we're going to do a month. And I think that there were a lot of moving parts and there were a lot of different viewpoints coming into that decision. But one of the viewpoints that powered it was certainly that, Hey, look, the, the shorter amount of time this thing's up, the less we have to worry, you know? And if people aren't claiming their tokens within a month, are they really paying attention? Anyways, there's a whole um, digression there, but, uh, it, it, there, you know, there are ways to help you get sleep at night if you err on the side of really thinking about security on the front side. But I don't think that that's something that everyone can do. It's just not um, certain folks just don't think in that mindset, you know, of of every. And, and to be honest, it can be a very miserable mindset when everything you look at is you're you're thinking about how it could be exploited and. Um, yeah, that's a whole other conversation. That kind of goes into like that kind of goes into our last uh, episode about coming to a foreign country. If if you're always thinking about, am I going to get robbed there, or, or you know, should I travel? Is it safe? You know, you miss out on life, and you gotta at some point know that you're doing your best, and you know, hope for the best, and you know, have the best security hygiene you can. For sure. And do you want to get in any DevCon stuff now, or you want to maybe sure. pick it up next I'll week? Just, well, we can talk to next week, but I'll I'll, uh, I'll give a couple like just overview highlights of you know there's a lot of words going around this this year like civil attacks are talked about a lot, security and smart contracts and these hacks are talked about a lot, and then yeah, just certain things like music NFTs are a lot, and you know the vibe at the conference is um, very optimistic, but also more realistic than I've seen at a lot of crypto events and conferences. People are talking about calling out bad actors in the space, calling out people who are, you know, not doing business the right way. They're talking about, um, 
you know, how we are in a crypto winter and that there's a lot of garbage products out there and a lot of things that don't need to be on chain. And it's just a, a very realistic look. People are still very optimistic, but they're also, you know, pretty real about, you know, some of the challenges that we're facing and some of the, you know, froth um, that has come and, you know, kind of goes back to that post that Vitalik made in 2017 of like, have we really earned it? You know, the price is up here, but like, what have we really accomplished? And the way people are looking at the the whole space skeptically is um, something that I hadn't seen in years past. And I actually makes me more optimistic that people are like, you know, knowing that there's some garbage out there and knowing that we got to take out the trash. Hmm. Yeah, just be careful when it comes to calling people out. It can uh, it can invoke the mob and invoke the woke. Invoke the woke. Yeah, um, really great Sam Harris episode this week of waking up. But a um, documentary filmmaker that has been canceled by the woke mob, and it's a really eye opening story and. I don't know if we should digress into the whole a whole of it here. It sounds like there's been some drama at DevCon and maybe we need to get more info so we aren't part of the problem reporting on kind of um half truths uh, for the sake yeah. of you know it might need to be its own episode, especially if we have another week like we did this week. But it's definitely something that you and I are both pretty passionate about and have talked about the whole time we've known each other. And uh, I think it's an important topic to talk about. And there's a, a lot of good examples. We, we do have that story. Sorry to interrupt you there. The, uh, you know, we, we've never brought that one to life, but uh, we, we've never really shared that out outside of the... Uh, well, well, don't give it away. Let's just tease it, and then let's uh, let's really dive into that. But we should we should drop we that, run that story with the woke mob yeah. years ago before we even knew what what it meant. I guess it wasn't the mob; it was just the woke. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we got canceled. Let's uh, by someone, yeah. and it was so bizarre. Um, somebody, a big player in the uh, in the space. Um, hey, we're at an hour. I'm releasing the show notes on wolfdefi.com now. Check them out there. We're working on some yeah. awesome guests coming up in the future. If you or someone you know would like to talk about security, crypto hacking with us, we would love to have you on. We're looking to increase the quality by getting some different voices in the mix. And I'm, I'm working on a couple now. I don't want to say anything yet, but I'm, I'm pretty excited. We got some um, some really cool possibilities lined up anyway. So... Um, check out the show notes, wolfdefi.com. There's a lot, a lot that I'm putting in this week with all these links. So if there's anything you heard about, you can see it there. Hunt, very safe travels back whenever you make it back from Bogota. Look forward to catching up. Yep. It'll, uh, it'll be another week or so, and I'm excited to continue to dive into the culture down here. But yeah, thank you for holding it down. And uh, with such a wild week, you did a great job with the show notes this week. I really encourage people to check those out because it's just a world of information where you can dive deeper yourself. Um, let us know what you think. We do our best to report accurately on the topics we discuss, but we're not always going to get everything right. So please reach out to us at idgenfm on Twitter or at WolfDefi with any corrections, comments. We'd love to hear from you. Um, just say hi. But yeah, let's uh, let's uh, pick this up next week, and hopefully it's a, a more mellow week. Indeed. Stay safe out there, everybody. Peace. Bye.